We sound a call to freedom that will heal a broken land As the call rings out more clearly, violent forces will disband Prison doors will open, bonds will loosen by the Spirit's hand The truth will set us free
Well, good evening and welcome, friends, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. I hope you enjoyed the full song I played opening the show tonight, something I rarely take the time to do. But considering the lyrics about the Sacred Feminine or Sophia setting us free, it somehow felt appropriate for us, the cognitive minority, especially considering where I think my conversation is headed with tonight's guest. Phyllis Karat, attorney, author, and one of America's first public Wiccan priestesses, as we discuss modern paganism. For more than 35 years, her pioneering work, including advocacy in the courts and media, books, essays, lectures, workshops, religious rights, and public events, have reconnected the divine feminine, feminine spirituality, and and feminism, and addressed the vital and controversial nexus of patriarchy, religion, and cultural transformation. We'll discuss how paganism has changed in the last three decades and what that means for women in the return of goddess, including internal tensions and reconstructions. Topics also include how we deal with skinheads and fascists who claim to be pagan, if Wiccan privilege is a legitimate concern, pagan activisms, pagans in the media, and the role of pagans in the parliament of the world's religions, and much more. Phyllis is my only guest this evening, so we can delve into these topics. But first, a few housekeeping tidbits, especially for all the new listeners. I am very excited to announce uh, the long-awaited trip to visit sacred sites of Turkey in May 2015 is being planned as I speak to you now. It is on the drawing board. So if you're interested in being on the tour, uh, we're going to just have a small select group of women and men. We're going to keep the group to around 20. Uh, Please let me hear from you so I can put you on the list to get updates. Because, you know, Turkey is really an incredible melting pot of goddess cultures. It used to be called Anatolia, land of the nourishing mothers. And it's a diamond in the rough. You really can still feel the power of goddess there, unlike many other places I've been to that uh, didn't seem to be quite so potent anymore as they became overrun with tourists. Uh, When last I visited Turkey, uh, so many of the goddess sites we go to aren't even on the beaten path, and we could be there totally alone to do exactly what we wanted to do in terms of ritual, movement, meditation, sharing dreams. You know, Turkey is home to Isis, Kabeli, Mary, Kubaba, Aphrodite, Magda Mater, and many more goddesses. Uh, In their museum in Ankara, the Anatolian Museum, it is just to die for. So uh, think about it. Start saving the money now. Um, And, you know, uh, Turkey is uh, not on the euro yet, so that uh, saves a little bit more. And closer to home in July, if you're in Nashville uh, or within driving distance, you might want to know about the Divine Feminine Conference. I am happy to say I'm one of the presenters for this weekend-long conference, which will be totally awesome. It is for women and men. And if you go to my Facebook page and scroll down a bit, you will no doubt find a posting somewhere. Uh, You'll see the very pink ad uh, in Athena. Uh, in the replica of her temple, which is in Nashville, in the picture, and you click on it for more information, and it will take you to the place to read about the schedule, the presenters, the price, and the hotel we'll be in. 
which I think is the Four Point Sheraton outside Nashville. Now, this isn't a camping event. It does cost a little bit more money. We don't want to rough it. We're going to stay in a nice, moderately priced hotel for the conference weekend. Uh, also, even closer to home, uh, I want to say thanks to those of you who came out to see me this weekend at the Dormer Center Bookstore and, and at World Fest. And looking ahead, I'll be walking down the red carpet Saturday night at the Garifuna Film Festival in Venice Beach with my sisters from the documentary Femme, Women Healing the World. Come see us and the film if you've not seen a screening yet. Then May 31st, I'm at the Green Man Store in North Hollywood with a presentation called Goddess Spirituality, A New Reality for All Humankind. Then Saturday, June 7th, I'm at the Long Beach Woman Spirit Fair. If you have not gone to the fair yet, it has been around for lots and lots of years. You can really connect with the community there. And uh, come see me at my table. I'll have uh, all my books and other delightful items to sell, including the sistrums that my husband and I make. Uh, So write me, Facebook me, email me, send me a message, however you want to do it. Uh, Just contact me. And if you've been following the saga of the stolen stolen statue of our beloved Sekhmet out in Indian Springs, uh, that little city outside Las Vegas uh, that is the home uh, of the Temple of Sekhmet, uh, which uh, we thank Genevieve Vaughn for creating all of those many years ago, uh, the statue has not been located yet at this point. Um, we've sort of given up hope, but the community has risen to the occasion, raising over $3,500 to replace the statue, and I believe they're also installing some security for the new statue. And there's going to be a big consecration ceremony uh, August 9th and 10th. So check out the Sekhmet Temple Facebook page for more information. So that's all the housekeeping tonight, uh, so we can jump right in uh, because Phyllis is here on the line and uh, we have a lot to talk about. Let me start by reading you her bio and then we'll start our chat. I already mentioned um, a good bit about Phyllis, about her being an attorney, author, um, for more than 35 years, her uh, pioneering collective work uh, included advocacy in the courts and media, books, essays, lectures. Um, Jane Magazine honored her as one of the ten gutsiest women of the year. New York Magazine described her as one of the culture's most intellectually cutting-edge thinkers, and she's been widely profiled in the media. She's been honored by the Martin Luther King Jr. International Chapel with induction into its College of Ministers, Laity, and Scholars, the Chapel Signature Program, and served as Vice Chair of the Parliament of the World's Religions, the mother of the interfaith movement. As the Parliament's first Wiccan trustee, she's founder and chair of its Women's Task Force. She has participated in the esteemed Assembly of World Religious Leaders, the United Nations GNO Committee on the Status of Women, and the Harvard University Religious Pluralism Project's Consultation on Religious Discrimination and Accommodation. She's the founder and president of the Temple of Ara, and she teaches and lectures internationally and is currently working on her fourth book. And her website is her name, Phyllis Karat. Phyllis, welcome to the show. Oh, it's really a a pleasure. It's an honor, too. Well, you know, I I, I can't believe I haven't had you on years and years ago, but I guess I should just be glad we're finally together chatting tonight. (laughs) We are. Yeah, me too. Um, (laughs) You know, it's so interesting when 
I hear of I don't travel enough um, lately, and when I do travel, it's tended to be to Italy and to Europe. The other, you know, <laughs> I've been heading east. Not, not closer to the home, yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, there is this vibrant um, goddess community, particularly in California and out west, um, that's been there for so many years and that has grown. Um, in in such remarkable ways, um, and spread really throughout the country. Uh, you know, for all the controversy that sometimes swirls around her. You know, I remember Z Budapest back, you know, in late seventies and early eighties. She was. Well, there's a, still controversy swirling. Always, you know, <laughs> that hasn't changed. It. You know, if you're out there doing something, somebody's going to say something. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, I mean, you know. Uh, you're not doing it right if you're not stirring up trouble, I suppose. But you know, and even if you is, are doing it right, there's always somebody that wants to chop off your head, you know, while they sit on the true. couch and think about how they might have done it better. <laughs> uh, it's so much easier to be a critic than an activist, you know. And yeah. No matter what you do, because we're all just human. Um, yeah. We're all gonna, yeah, we all have you know, our, gonna... our human frailties. Exactly, um, but she well, has been know, a remarkable I, figure and, you know, really helped to see. She's a, she's a, one of the mothers of this movement. She's a trailblazer. And, you know, she was yeah. out there with her pink-handled machete, you know, when some of us were in diapers. That's right, that's right. <laughs> you know, that's exactly so, right. you know, she deserves her due for that, you know, and yeah. I, I don't think we can always agree on, you know, we can all always agree on everything either. And we don't um, have to. I, we really yeah, don't we don't have to. have to, and I think there's, a, there's, you know, just like there's all different stripes of Christians and Muslims and Jews, I think there's all different stripes of pagans uh, as well, you know. And, and there's our lead-in. <laughs> there we well go. Done, there we go. Uh, but, you know, I think where you were going with that conversation was, you know, I think sometimes the West and the East Coast has a disconnect. You know, yeah. um, it's almost as if we're on different planets, and I'm, and maybe I'm I'm just showing my own ignorance, but I don't know a lot of people on the East Coast, and I don't know that a lot of people on the East Coast know what's going on on the West Coast either. Um, I, I wish there true. were a way to network a little bit more. Well, here we are. We're doing some of it, and I think that with the 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 internet, the growth of the movement. Um, the fact that it has sustained, you know, over so many years. Mm-hmm. It was so small at the beginning. You know, it really was small. It was, you know, a few hundred people and then, a, you know, and then a few thousand. Now, honestly, I think it's several million and yeah. of one stripe or another. Um, well, you know, I the New York University had some stats out a while back, and I haven't checked them recently. This is probably when I first put up my website 10 years ago. Uh, they said that... Um, uh, our, it, 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 it seemed like if you combined all of the different groups um, that worshipped goddess, and they were all different labels, you know, but if it, you know th- that we were sort of one, we were one of the fastest growing spiritualities or religions. I don't know which they called us, um, you know, but but we were just so divided in terms of you know druids, pagans, uh, uh-huh. goddess people. Celts, you know, I mean, uh, but but if we if we consider that uh, that we had that one thing in common, um, you know, we this you know we were growing by leaps and bounds. 
That's right. That's exactly right. Um, you know, not, we could talk statistics, and, and you know, sometimes I'll do that with reporters. Um, and there are models that you know people say, oh, it's impossible. There's no way to measure. But in fact, there are a number of, of ways that, and they reinforce each other. Um, and uh, a very simple way is that you look at um, the book sales of um, uh, pick one book that's the most successful book, you know, in a particular religious area. And for a while, it was, a lot of people think of Starhawk, but in fact it was Ray Buckland's book, The Complete Book of Witchcraft, for example. That book had sold, and this was quite a while ago, that book had sold 400,000 copies. Well, one of the models uh, that sociologists of religion have used, et cetera, is that um, the highest selling book will roughly constitute approximately 10% of uh, the religious community. So that book had sold 400,000 copies, and I think it was in 2001 or 2002. You know, at some point things do level off, but so let's just take 400,000. If that's 10%, you were talking about a constituency of approximately 4 million people, um, and that was a lot of people. You know, 12, 10, 12 years ago. Yes, and the fact is, you know, it's sort of everywhere. You know, you know, the statue of Sekhmet is still stolen, and people still think that pagans are people who, you know, have no uh, belief in God, who are, you know, godless, when in fact it's the exact opposite, um, both in gender <laughs> very often and in um, theology. But, and you know, we have a long way to go, but we've come a long way. We've come a long well, way. And well, and about that, um, you know, about the Sepnet statue being stolen, uh, the the they suspect that um, what caused this was an article that ran in the local uh, newspaper about the peace activism work that goes on, <clears throat> you know, as, you know, the activism from the temple, you know, the founders, the people uh. involved, and what was really amazing for me to find out was that uh, the people in the area are against peace activists because they equate peace activists as being unpatriotic and anti-military, which is crazy, you know. But you've got to remember, they are living in that area of Clive Bundy, you know, the guy who'd been in the news. And, you know, you have that sort of mentality there where you just can't penetrate, you know. Yeah. And, well, this and, is where and, you need to bring in the, the, you know, the pagans in the military, you know? Right. Um, and you need to bring them in and do some real public stuff with them as a sort yeah, of Yeah, because the military friends. is behind them. You know, the military, I mean, they're very near a base, as a matter of fact. And, you know, the base, uh, you, know, the, they, you know, the military there says that, you know, the, the military exists to protect people's freedoms. Uh, but it, but it's just crazy to me. It, it's almost hard to wrap my mind around the fact that someone could be against peace activists. Um, you know, I, I you know I think you really got to stretch your paranoia and your ignorance a good bit to go there. You know, but anyway, that's you know true, uh, the but, country is uh, made yeah. up of all stripes. <laughs> that's right. That that's really true, including our own uh, pagan community. I mean, we have here um, had here in New York. Uh, it was really remarkable, very interesting. It's kind of odd and strange to see a uh, Republican, very conservative um, fellow run for the Queens uh, County, uh, the Queens Council, City Council, whatever it was, and um, 
he was a, a publicly self-identified pagan, um, practicing one of the sort of, I don't think it was a satru per se, but it was a, you know one of the sort of Nordic uh, reconstruction traditions. And he ran on the Republican ticket, and they supported him. I heard him. about him. You know, uh, I actually tried to get him on the show, but he didn't even answer me. Um, really? But, you know, look, and, and I don't know if you and I will agree on this, but I have a hard time um, feeling like you can be a pagan and be a Republican. Um, know. You know, I think that, that that's a hard, um, you know, that's hard to reconcile. You know, at least the Republicans we see in the news today, you know, yeah. they're anti-woman, they're anti-environment. Right there, how can you, you know, uh, that that's enough for me. You know, know, how can you not like care being, about the uh, earth and and yeah. devalue women and, yeah. um, you know, be a pagan. But It's a real kind con- well, it's like being a log cabin Republican. You know, how could you be gay when, you know, the When they think you're an abomination. You. Right, exactly. But the, that part of the, the other point of view is what you were saying, that we are so, we are such an enormous community now that we have um, this incredible, we're just like a slice of America, and we can mm-hmm. even have um, highly conservative, um, I don't know if we have any Tea Party folks, but you can be a Republican. A Republican who was just indicted, in fact, <coughs> or subject to indictment. I was negotiating. I mean, he was got himself in some real trouble um, politically. So we really are now representative we are in the main. We are officially in the mainstream now. <laughs> well, you know, uh, when I wrote my first book, um, I really felt strongly about the fact that more and more people were coming to um, believe in, uh, embrace the idea of the sacred feminine, and I felt like there were going to be an awful lot of them who would not identify as pagan because the word has such negative connotation. Maybe they weren't witches. You know, um, so I came up with the word goddess advocate, you know, because I think, uh, you know, goddess spirituality is almost, I think, its own separate thread, wouldn't you say? Um, and, and maybe it's under paganism, and maybe for some people it really even isn't. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a rich conversation. Personally, uh, you know, and, I, and some of my very dearest friends are, are very comfortable with the use of the label pagan. Um, I. It's not a term that I use, and I don't think it's really appropriate to label the entire movement. It's a very specific cultural term, Latin, Italian, you know, very specific yeah. culturally. Some folks have said, well, then we use the word heathen, you know, the sort of northern, you know, more northern European traditions. Um, but it, it, the, the connotations are so negative, and, you know, you can say, well, there are parallels between the negativity, the, the misunderstanding of the term pagan and the misunderstanding of the term witch, right? you know, which, the, which is the phonetic word derived from witcha, Old Anglo-Saxon. To say Old Anglo-Saxon, I suppose, is to be redundant, but, you know, it meant wise one. Um, and I did fight that battle for many, many years, many years, and I did it in, in the media very broadly and, and had excellent press in all the major publications. And I even had... Uh, Bill O'Reilly, 
I was on his show twice, and the second time he introduced me as his his Wiccan friend, you know, who felt that they were being discriminated against, and he agreed. And of course he said, well, I bow you know. down to you, Phyllis. Thank I you very swear, much. To have, to have Bill O'Reilly <laughs> not disparaging you, you must have put a glamour on him before you went on the show. <laughs> yeah, I, spoke to, I, I got the advice of the makeup artist <laughs> on how to do that. <laughs> I, I basically, I did it with a sense of humor. You know, that's yeah. the, the key is to is not to fight, but to have a sense of humor. And I think that's one of the things about goddess, to go back to your important point about goddess spirituality is, I mean, personally, when I, when I describe myself, because I do a tremendous amount of work in the context of the interfaith movement, because that's a place where educating other religious leaders about what paganism is, what Wicca is, what goddess spirituality is, can can have enormous uh, impact. It reverberates. It's like throwing, you know, a stone in, and the circles go out in ever widening uh, measure. So there are certain places where doing work has critical impact that can really reverberate to the benefit of the rest of the community. And it, the interfaith world is one of those places. And I found that if I began. That's a place where you find people will say, what religion are you? Right? They'll mm-hmm. start a conversation with that, which you don't find in the supermarket or at a cocktail party. right? But in an interfaith movement, that's where you start. And to say pagan, I, I watched, because I've been doing this since, in the, the broad international context of the parliament since 1993, and you can see people glaze over and walk away. But if you say, I'm practicing the... Uh, religious tradition, a, rev- a modern revival of my uh, ancestral uh, spiritual tradition, um, and then people are immediately interested. They're intrigued. You know, you're mm-hmm. using vocabulary that draws them in, that doesn't push them away, and they will say, "Well, w- what is that?" And I will say, "It is the, it is a modern revival of." of several of the indigenous traditions of old Europe, of pre-Christian Europe. And then they're even more intrigued, you know? Yeah, because and they, they say, well, what is that? Where, you know? in the, because they realize that's where they came from, too. So exactly, you should be talking about their ancestors. Which is how I won over Bill O'Reilly. I said, you know, you're Irish, you're Scotch-Irish. This is what your ancestors used to do, Bill. Your ancestors <laughs> were doing this. See, so when you speak in and you don't use labels that um, are alienating and you use a vocabulary that is not just neutral but is in fact kind of intriguing, people lean into you. And then Mm -hmm. by the time you get around to saying, and that's often referred to as paganism, they don't have the same reaction. Or if they do, they'll take note of themselves that they're having an adverse reaction and they'll recognize it as prejudice. It's a whole other dynamic. Um, And it's you know, it's what you learn when you are working to build bridges between our community, whether it's Wiccan or pagan or goddess spirituality, and a mainstream culture. And there are many reasons to do that. Many people don't, but that is something I always chose to do. Um, and I do it be- to make a safe place for, for our community to practice. And I do it because I truly believe that all of us, and there is tremendous diversity um, within the community, but that there are sufficient commonalities that have tremendous value to the world. And sure. unless we open that door, 
um, and speak in a way that people can hear us, uh, we won't be able to make that contribution. So, right. And I really think right. that, you know, we're being called by the mother, by the earth. It's essential now that we learn um, uh, to speak in a way that people can hear us because uh, so let me what ask we have you, to say so is important. Yeah. Course, yeah, and I want to I want to get into that. But while we're talking a little bit about the history and where this all comes from, um, who who do we really credit? And, and there's probably not one person, but who do we really credit for bringing goddess spirituality into the modern world? You know, and 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 I say that you know as, as sort of separate from witchcraft. You know, right, and, and, and or maybe who do we who do we credit for both? You know, um, is it the is it Gerald Gardner on the witchcraft side? Um, oh. It's interesting. That's interesting. Again, I mean, all of this is to me. I think the best metaphor. It's good to think metaphorically. I think, um, and the idea of a tapestry or the idea of a garden or a forest, you know, where there's all this diversity and these various influences in order to sort of create the whole is a good way to think about it. So I think you're right that there's a very powerful strand um, that came out of um, uh, Britain, which the Gardnerian tradition and uh, the Alexandrian tra- tradition and um, uh, and then Ray Buckland's work with Sayax, you know, Saxon Wicca that he developed, um, and and the Budapest, you know, and the the Dianic and feminist part of that. I was part of um, the the sort of East Coast um, feminist counterpart, which was the Minoan Sisterhood. Um, the, my priestesses had been trained in the Gardnerian tradition, but they were both gay and they wanted to work with women, and so the Minoan tradition. Um, on the East Coast, which had uh, a, a known brotherhood, which was primarily gay men, and uh, and a, a women's tradition, which was intended to be for gay women, but which ended up being both gay and straight, because they couldn't find enough lesbians in New York in the late <laughs> 70s. It wasn't California. Uh, you know, so that was a very important strand. Then you had, of course, um, you had... The academics, right? You had Carol Christ and Judith Plasco mm-hmm. and, you know, that whole group, which was so critically important and, and the groups coming out, the women coming out of Yale and a lot of whom, um, to some extent, had to sort of abandon academia because of the tremendous hostility. Mm-hmm. Um, you had feminists within um, with, who remained within religious traditions, within Judaism and Christianity, and who've done a tremendous amount of work in, uh, you know, bringing gender-neutral language and, uh, you know, uh, rewriting the Passover services and, right, all this stuff. Um, so that was a strand. Um, you have West Coast uh, goddess spirituality, which has in many ways developed, I think, as a community um, in a much stronger way than on the East Coast, um, you know, as the West Coast tends to do. It's, you know, it, it, what happens on the West Coast comes to the East Coast a little bit slower. Um, 
But you, and but it you has know, a different if, cultural some, milieu. If somebody ever wrote our, I mean, it, I, I wonder, I mean, and I don't know, maybe somebody's already done this, but it almost seems important that before we get too much further down the road, somebody write the history. You know, because somebody asked me the other day, um, do we credit the Budapest for bringing goddess spirituality and feminism to the United States? And, you know, I didn't know. You know, I really didn't know if there had been somebody before Z or somebody um, somewhere else that was maybe doing the same thing, just not on the West Coast. And yeah. um, it, and I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I really didn't have the answers because uh, I hadn't ever researched it to be frank. Because there's so many different threads, like you said, there are the academics. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for me it was Merlin Stone and Rianne Eisler. That's sure. how I took this. You know, that's how I came to this. Um, you know, for me, it wasn't even about being a witch necessarily. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, and then it became about being a feminist. Um, right. You know, so it, and and I, I don't know. I just I just think it would be important um, to to really know our history, where it all comes from. Unless no, I think you're, absolutely you're right. a hereditary witch, well, then you can say, well, it comes from your family and it's always been there. But most of us can't say that. Very well. You know, now there's a generation that can. But you know, when I meet people who are uh, my age, um, you know, and they say they're hereditary, which is my eyebrow always goes up, you know, because, mm-hmm. mm, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we could make a list and we sh- we shouldn't omit. I mean, there was Charlene Spretnack, um, mm-hmm. there Mary was Barry Daly, Bailey, uh, Patricia Monaghan. Uh, I mean, it's a long list. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a long list. And we haven't even said Starhawk. You know, yeah, who was before Starhawk? You know, yeah. um, I, I really don't know, and and that's that's pitiful. That's pitiful well, to say. Yeah, I mean, it was in on the East Coast. It was certainly the strength of it was certainly I would say the academic community, the the, the goddess spirituality academic community, Charlene Spretnick and um, Carol Christ and Judith Plasco and that group, and then I would say, um, the I would say it was the Minoan Sisterhood. Um, which came out of the Gardnerian tradition and was very feminist, and that was, um, you know, my training. And um, and on the West Coast, I think you had Z and Starhawk, um, and also some academics. Um, but the but it was, you know, more centered in um, at Yale and on a little more on the East Coast at the time. I'm just, now you're going back to the 70s and the early yeah. 80s. Um, there was a wonderful book. I, was it Helen Berger? I'm sorry. I don't, my, my library is a little chaotic right now, called uh, In the Lap of the Goddess. And it was an excellent, uh, you know, everything that's written is always missing important chunks, you know. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's uh, overlooking all sorts of things. Um, Ronald Hutton's book is excellent, but his section on American, uh, you know, on the American movement is, you know, really full of holes. It's just, you know. Well, or Margo Adler, that may be a place to go back because she did Drawing Down the Moon. That may may point to some of the original leaders. I should dig that book out and look. Yeah, but 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 let's talk a little bit about um, what what's happened in the last thirty years. I, I I've had Patrick McCullum on the show a few times. I think you know him because he's involved sure. with the Parliament too, isn't he? 
Well, no, he's attended, um, as many pagans have. Um, Okay. He's been at quite a number of them. Um, Well, I know he said on the show that, you know, 40 years ago, you know, when we were talking about how paganism has changed, he said 40 years ago his house could have been firebombed or was almost threatened to be firebombed, something like that, because he mentioned the goddess publicly. And look how far we've come. Um, sure. do you, would would you say the same thing? I mean, do you think we've really come a long way in a short period of time? Because sometimes it just feels like to me we're moving at a snail's pace. Yeah. Yes and no. Um, I mean, I think this is also. I mean, these are all really rich subjects. It's hard for me to imagine, but especially since he was living in California, <laughs> as I recall, that you know someone would firebomb your house for mentioning um, goddess, uh, which pagan. Yeah, goddess, you know, less, um, I think, less uh, charged (laughs) with that kind of, you know, historical uh, hostility. I mean, it's very interesting when you go back and you actually look, and now I'm digressing slightly, but if you actually look uh, at the early witch trials in Italy, for example, um, you know, the the old religion existed, coexisted with Catholicism for a very, very long time. In fact, it kind of still does. It, it, it's now kind of syncretism in order to survive where you have, you know, this sort of Catholic folk merging. Um, mm-hmm. But if you go back and you look, you see that, in fact, what was being discussed in some of these early trials was uh, the worship of the goddess Diana. And there's no mention of Satan or any of that stuff. That doesn't come until... Um, much later, at the end of the 1400s, when they'd run out of steam with, you know, the the Inquisition against the Jews, and they sort of extended that to um, uh, the uh, continuing old religion, and suddenly it was no longer about the worship of the goddess Diana. Now it was worshiping Satan. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so initially, you know. And if you go to Italy, I mean, the goddess is everywhere. You're, you are in the lap of the goddess. Um, and the Madonna, you know, sure. wears the crown of the goddess. She's always found either standing in or wearing the lunar crown. And the irony yeah. is, you know, pagans don't even believe in the devil, you know. Yeah, no, there's and, no devil in it. And here they're being associated with Satan. Well, the winners get to retell history and not True. sort of what we are contending with. But I think um, I, dig- I digress, so forgive me, but I, I think that um, things have changed significantly and yet they haven't, right? Plus, my mother would say, plus c'est change, plus c'est la même chose. The more they change, the more they remain the same. So, um, I mean, I noticed these sort of fluctuations in where the attention of the media goes and where the sort of cultural zeitgeist seemed to be. And when Bush was in power, the New York Times did an article, you know, front page article in their style section on a young Christian fundamentalist woman in New York. You know, the New York Times, yes. And witchcraft, you know, was out. Um, right. When Bush was out, it, it makes its resurgence. Um, so in a certain sense, you see how you know, with a shifting political climate, we can be back where we were 30, 40, 50 years ago, you know, and all the work that we've done for 30, 40, 50 years seems to go out the window. And we we'll certainly see this that way on the reproductive front. 
It does, but because we've done all this work, in fact, um, I really think it's two steps forward, one step back. It's not, right? It's not one step forward, two step back. Two steps right. back, it's the other way. So yeah. you have to take the long view when you do this work. I mean, I can't believe I've been doing this for almost 35 years. And like, you know, I went out for pizza, I came back, it's 35 years later. There's a movement. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't know that it would, that it would, you know, grow roots and a trunk and bear fruit uh, when we began. Um, I mean, some people were very conscious in... Uh, their efforts, like Starhawk, to develop a movement. Um, others took a more mystical, I mean, I took a more mystical path, so I, you know, and when I was engaged in in activism, it was always in bridge building into the mainstream. And well, now I see a lot of progress. Really, I do. Well, now that you know that there's a movement, does it give you more of a sense of responsibility that, um, we really have have we have we hold the responsibility to do something with it, something meaningful, and yeah. not just play with this or be selfish about it. Well, I think one of the criticisms of the movement that I heard a lot years ago um, from Jews or from Christians that, that their criticism was that it was very. Um, it seemed sort of selfish, you know, that it was about your personal growth. You, you know, it was all about you. And, um, uh, you know, and I said, well, I, you know, I hear the criticism, and I understand, um, but if we are each uh, a part of the sacred, um, unlike sort of the New Age thing that you are the center of the universe creating your reality all the time. I don't think that most pagans think that. They think that we are, you know, a strand in the web with far mm-hmm. more control than we're generally taught, but that we are not the center of the universe. Right. You know, it's right. a web of inter- interconnection and interdependency. And I think with maturity, we move from stage one, which is self-awareness, to stage two, which is awareness of the other, to stage three, which is awareness that the two are interconnected, you know, that that reality and life is about the relationship between self and other, between you well, and, and myself. Well, and I want to make a comment, uh, going earth, back to what you said, uh, to that, you know, the, the Jews and the Christians said uh, they thought this was selfish. Um, isn't it interesting that they or from patriarchal religions that don't see the importance of what we're doing in helping to empower women? Yeah. Well, of course, um, you know, uh, the oversight is sort of obvious, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that's one of my gripes. That's one of my gripes that so many women or complicit in their own oppression. They aren't even aware of the oppression. They aren't even aware of the exploitation. They have been so indoctrinated that um, they just take it all as normal and fine and just the way it is and can't even imagine it being other. And yeah. some of them, I think, um, are just fine with it the way it is. You know? Well, and it's I, heartbreaking, but it's, that's very true. I mean, you, there were surveys done of... Um, Saudi Arabian women, for example, right, who weren't supposed to go to school. And, you know, they asked them, well, could you be a doctor? Could you be, you know, if you had a democracy, could you run for government? And they're, they really, they were sincere 
when they said, oh, no, no, oh, no, women can't do that. Well, you know, what do we call it? Stock? Is it Stockholm Syndrome? Whatever, you know, where yeah, you're... Yeah, or Munchausen's, Munchausen's yeah. oh, Syndrome, Syndrome, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's what I think about the burqa sometimes, because, you know, you will have some women who will say, well, it makes us feel sacred, it makes us feel special, it keeps us protected. And, you know, I can kind of see some of that, but if they were doing it because they wanted to and not because they were being forced You know, if they had a choice in the matter, I think maybe it would be different. But the fact that they don't have a choice, I wonder if it is the, you know, the the syndrome, or if it, you know, or if, or maybe it's just, you know, different women are different. Some really don't mind it and do feel special and protected and safe and sacred and all of that. But others maybe resent it like crazy, you know. Uh, Exactly. Yeah, it, it's uh, that's also, uh, you know, we're entering into another really um, rich subject. And, of course, I'm always, I tread carefully, but I don't, I'm not a person who believes that. Um, uh, in fact, this is one of my areas of activism. Um, I think that um, the rights that we're concerned with are human rights, and I don't think that human rights are negated by um, so-called local traditional values, which has always been the cry of um, patriarchs, whether they're Arab or um, uh, Catholic, who unite very strategically at the United Nations. I saw it um, uh, in working on the, um, uh, the Beijing conference in 1995 on women, you know, the statement that came out of that finally was really derailed. It would have been a much more powerful statement, but the Arab countries and the Vatican at the time forged an alliance and had the power to object and to derail some of the very most important provisions in it. Now, it's still progress, and it's still, you know, two steps ahead, one step back, but um, the person that I think is brilliant on the question of um, the veil um, the burqa is uh, Fatima Mernisi, who's a brilliant scholar and does a feminist interpretation of women's rights in Islam. And um, it's one reason that, I mean, she was a real inspiration to me. Um, many, many, she wrote that book many years ago, um, and I always recommend it to people. And, uh, you know, one of the first things that happens when a Western woman tries to critique it is, you know, well, you're Western and it's Western values, etc. And you can point to Fatima Mernisi's book and say, oh, not at all. You know, the critique arises from within your own culture. And it's mm-hmm. a really good mm-hmm. one. Um, and again, I mean, I happen to think that human rights, you know, are not, don't take second place to so-called traditional values because those so-called traditional values are, they're, it's ironic, but they're, you know, it's funny how one of the things they all have in common is the oppression of women. I mean, you find it in all, in all, the, all the patriarchal traditions in their most fundamental, fundamentalist um, interpretations. What do they all have in common? Fear, hostility, hatred to suppression of women. Yeah. Um, and it is the single thing. Um, I mean, I really think the world is is radically out of balance because of the oppression of women by all these patriarchal religions and not just the Western ones. You know, the treatment of women in Tibet is appalling, appalling. Right. Um, And, I mean, I really think that the reason that we are facing extinction 
is because um, the species has been out of balance for so long. Well, and you know, maybe I'm just make lemon making lemonade out of lemons, and I hope I'm not. Uh, You know, I I hope this isn't just grasping for straws. Uh, but I can't help but think, and feel free to disagree with me, but, you know, everybody's been talking about the paradigm shift. We're moving out of the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius, the Grand Cross, you know, all of these astrological signs that are ahead that things are changing. Of course, it's not going to be tomorrow. It's going to be in, you know, a decade and or two or three or a generation, but uh, it's all coming, and you know, and and how things are accelerating, and I don't know whether it's a coincidence or not, but I think it's very interesting that no sooner does the Supreme Court say there's no more racism, and practically on the heels of that, and and obliterating you know protection, voting protections for minorities, on the heels of that, we have Clive Bundy pop up, and the Clipper owner. You know, and we see racism, you know, just just how much we really aren't over racism. And, you know, we have been talking about women's issues more, I think, lately because of the, uh, the fight for the minimum wage, because low incomes, you know, disproportionately affect women. And, uh, and you know, in the war on women, uh, you know, Absolutely. waged by the Republicans. And suddenly... You know, we see all of these things in the news, like the Nigerian girls going missing, you know, and and other things that, you know, have been happening. It's almost, it's, it's almost as if the universe is answering the, the patriarchal bullshit, you know. Uh, you know, they'll say something and the universe provides a scenario that says, no, you're wrong, look. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I, I don't know, I guess I wonder is... Could this really be happening, or am I uh, connecting imaginary dots? But, you know, I I guess I just feel like maybe it's showing the people who are asleep out there, the sheeple, you know, maybe it's it's shaking them awake a little bit. I hope so. I mean, you know, when I was younger, I really, truly, truly, I believed that, you know, we were all capable of, you know, acts of genius, you know, if we just had... Uh, you know, a culture that supported it. And I still think that's true. Um, uh, but I do know that, um, I mean, it's been, the you know, really my entire adult life. And even within the pagan movement, you know, as we were talking about before, um, there seems to be, um, I mean, certainly on the West Coast, there's, there is a, a true sensitivity to, um, consensus process, et cetera, um, and uh, the need for sort of local um, government, you know, local determination because you can't have consensus process, you know, when you're dealing with a country of hundreds of millions of people, you, you know. Um, I mean, these are complex questions, right? But um, we are, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, when when you hear, you know, frankly, I mean, that, that ruling by the Supreme Court to me was specious and completely disingenuous because the entire motivation for the ruling was, in fact, racism. Mm-hmm. You know, it's to set up the mechanism by which the, the populace no longer has the capacity to vote because they're not going to be able to control the country any longer based on the demographics. 
Now, well, you, you know, have to do I, it in another way, and that's that you you basically go back to the way things were, you know, when you had poll taxes and literacy requirements before people could vote in the South. You know? Right. Uh, well, you know, I, I Phyllis, you know, when I think all of this really turned on its head, I, look, I could be wrong, but I remember when Barack Obama, I think it was the acceptance speech, was that the one he made and the millions of people were standing there and you yeah. had thousands of people crying and it was yeah, all about talked, hope? Yeah. Was that the yeah. acceptance speech? Yeah, it was. It was extraordinary. I think, yep. I think the white men in this country lost their mind that night. Because I think they saw the populism that was rising, they it would it made them crazy that that uh, the rest of the country wasn't racist and that they could look to this man the way we were looking to this man and putting you know all of our hopes and dreams in him. I think it, it and 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 I, I think that that insanity <laughs> it brought out an insanity in them that they saw where this country really wanted to go mm-hmm. and they were going to do everything possible to make sure it couldn't happen yeah well you know i i was very concerned um 5 6 years ago and a little longer i was giving talks on um the theocratic impulses that i saw when the you know the Karl Rove strategy of harnessing the Christian right and empowering them in order to get Bush elected. And it was really frightening when you really did your homework. And I recommend the book American Theocracy, which came out a while ago. Um, But what people have not been paying attention to until recently um, is, in fact, the role and influence of uh, specifically the Koch brothers and this alliance that they created. I mean, their father was one of the major forces in the John Birch Society, which the Republicans, you know, didn't take seriously. They thought they were a bunch of right-wing nutjobs. And when one of them decided to run for president years ago um, and, you know, was resoundingly defeated, they realized that they needed a political party. And and so, you know, this has been a 30, 40-year morph began in the 1950s with their father, a long-term, you know, multi-billion dollar sustained long-term effort to do away with um, the uh, the FDR reforms of the 30s, mm-hmm. the 40s, and the 50s. And it began with an attack on the labor movement in the 70s, blaming them for inflation, which was ridiculous, but it worked and the destruction of the public education system after the Vietnam War, and it worked, you know, and the control of the media, which took place also after the Vietnam War. They carry on about the liberal media, but the fact is, you know, it's corporate media. And now the the effort to control uh, the Internet um, and the development and the funding of the Tea Party as a political party, which is essentially taking the position of the John Birch Society. You know? And the Citizens United that's put all the money, uh, yeah. you know, in, in, in uh, the campaign, and, you know, there's yeah. not going to be campaign finance reform. Yeah, we're, we're at it. This is a very frightening moment, in fact, in this country. There, there is a very powerful, um, truly neo-fascist movement that, you know, it's an oligarchy. Uh, we have an oligarchy. Um, and, you know, they're doing everything they can to, to disenfranchise the voters um, where the demographics would move against them. Um, they control most of the media, 
people are not well educated in this country and the media is appalling. So, you yeah. know, where do they go? We're in, it's a very dangerous situation. The only thing is that it's kind of what I, I have hope because of a couple things. One, because there are people like us. You know, there always has been, there always will be. You know, there's always the resistance, you know. Throughout mm-hmm. history, there's always, you know, the loyal opposition, the intele- the creative intellectual resistance that moves things, inexorably moves things forward. That's what Martin Luther King said, right? That the arc of justice bends slowly, but it, you know, the arc of history bends yeah. slowly, but it bends inexorably towards justice. And it's towards, really yeah, true. Yeah. That over time and over history, and certainly that's what I see over the 35 years of this becoming, it is not a cult. It, when I began, it was a cult. It is now, that means hidden. It is not hidden. It, you know, it's, it's you're talking about right paganism. I'm talking you're, you're about talking, like a goddess yeah. spiritually paganism, yeah. you know, in all of its myriad forms. Um, I mean, paganism has and the various reconstructive reconstructionist traditions have a long mm-hmm. way to go to catch up with Wicca because it started with Wicca. So, right. you know, that's out front and goddess spirituality was a was a sort of, you know, parallel movement that was running at the same time that Wicca was growing. Um and they are they're intertwined. Um but paganism is growing really rapidly. One of the concerns I have that I've watched is I have a concern that with the development of, with the focus on Reconstructionism and various ethnic traditions, that while there are goddesses and while there are roles for women, I'm seeing, you know, a tremendous ascendance of men, um, and uh, men, you know, in leadership positions in all of these Reconstruction movements. And my own concern is that um, there is a movement away from emphasis on the divine feminine. And I think a lot about, there's an old Taoist expression, you know, that if a tree has grown all of its life bent to the left and you wish it to grow straight, for a time you must bend it in the opposite direction if you wish it Mm -hmm. to grow straight. So if you want balance between masculine and feminine, because we are living in a culture, you know, which for in excess of 5,000 years has not only ignored the feminine but has demeaned it and, you know, uh, de- denied it, demeaned it, suppressed it, both you know theologically and practically in terms of the, treat- the mistreatment of women, then you must put emphasis on it for a mm-hmm. while in order to truly create balance. And right. one of the concerns I have is when I you know when I hear people you know uh, critique a member of you know the pagan community as feminist or you know the that there's a preoccupation with the goddess and, you know, that it should be balanced, you know, and that men should, you know, you know, have more of an important role. And it's like, yeah, it should be balanced. But, you know, maybe you guys need to take a little bit of a back seat for a while, you know, right. focus your energies on, hmm, say, protection or, you know, yeah, being knights of the goddess, you know, rather exactly. than kings again because we don't have the balance that we need. Exactly. Well, tell me tell me a little bit. Of, you know, you see, I don't think that's happening here in California. I might be wrong. Um, I haven't heard that yet. But tell me about the Reconstructionists that, um, that you refer to. I'm not sure I'm up on that. Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to 
brand sure, everybody, don't you know, names, tar but, you know. but yeah, I don't want to tar everybody with a, you know, with a, a broad brush and, you know, thereby, you know, be unfair because it would be unfair. But you've got Celtic Reconstructionists. You've got, I mean, it tends to be ethnically based, right? And so what's good about that is diversity and the retrieval of uh, traditions rooted in people's family ancestral backgrounds or the passions that they may have. Um, or the call, you know, the callings that they receive um, of the spirits of place, whether or not you know it's part of their ancestral tradition, and um, we need to retrieve all of them. And because cultures were, um, there was tremendous overlap, right? You had you had Celtic presence all the way down to Sicily, um, and you had Greek presence all the way up in in Ireland and Wales, and you know, so there was. I mean, that's just one tiny example. You had tremendous um, cross-pollination going on throughout um, the entire uh, ancient European and Middle, you know, what we now call Middle Eastern, right, the Fertile Crescent, and even India. There was a lot of cross-pollination going on. Um, but so what we have right now are the flourishing. There's a real focus on ethnic uh, revivals or reconstructions. So you have Lithuanian and Latvian. Interestingly enough, the, the Latvian tradition and some Romanians are, are some of the only sort of continuous pagan tradi- European traditions that haven't um, disintegrated and had to be sort of retrieved, recovered, and reconstructed. Um, Wicca is, in fact, a kind of British or you know combined with Celtic reconstruction. Um, some of it, you know made up by Gerald Gardner, some of it coming from the Victorian occultists and the Golden Dawn, you know, and some of it yeah, actually yeah. coming from folk practices and old, you know, the old religion, the, the Sabbath calendar, for example. I mean, that's, you know, a legitimate survival of uh, the indigenous traditions of, uh, you know, Northern Europe. You have Asatru and other, and heathenism and other uh, Nordic traditions and Germanic traditions there's um, a revival going on. I spend a lot of time in Italy. There's a lot of revival going on in Italy um, right now. That's tricky. I mean, people talk about the Regaria, but very local. You know, what was done in uh, the northern... There was no Italy, for one thing. You know, there were principalities. So what was done... And completely different dialects. So something that was done in Venice was unheard of in Sicily. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And then, of course, you have the syncretism. You have a lot of the appropriation of paganism by the Catholic Church itself, which is really interesting, in, as well as in Ireland and other places. Um, there's even some revivals going on in France, where, you know, which tends to be a very different kind of intellectual culture. Like um, with the Cathars or stuff like that? Or? Yeah, yeah. The, the French tend to be a little more occultist, you know, a little mm-hmm. more uh, masculine ceremonial magic than, you know, um, and the Germans are, there's a, there is a revival going on in Germany, and this is where things start to get a little interesting and a little uh, unnerving, because along with all of these revivals, there are um, groups in Europe uh, and in the United States that identify themselves as pagan, who are in fact fascists, and you know how one deals with them, right, and whether they're included, and where you draw so, the line. That's a real interesting challenge. So, Phyllis, just for the sake of listeners, define uh, define what you mean by fascist. Well, fascist actually, right, is is um, uh, 
the fasciste is an Italian term uh, that, um, uh, and the Nazis were the Germans. But I mean, there, it's a totalitarian, authoritarian. Um, it's a survival uh, or a revival of um, the Nazism and the fascism of, um, of the last century. And it tends to be very anti-Semitic. Um, it's racist. It's certainly um, anti-woman. Um, it's totalitarian. Uh, and it has, you know, it takes on odd guises. So uh, there are uh, political expressions. There are some very right-wing guys in uh, Brussels, uh, in Belgium, politicians who identify as pagan. Um, and and why do they? I, I mean, what's the pagan part of them? I mean, where where does the paganism come in? They uh, they. You know, I mean, I, if you, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a historian of of uh, the overlap between Nazism and paganism. You know, um, because certainly Kinderkirchen, right? The children kitchen church was the mantra of of Nazi Germany as far as women were concerned. Um, and I don't think that they were pagan at all, but there were certain elements, I suppose, because they were trying to revive the fatherland, you know, and the idea uh-huh. of the indigenous traditions of the fatherland. Um, and so that there's a, a, an acute nationalism. It's characterized by an acute nationalism, which to some extent has arisen because of the terrible um, financial situations in Europe and the incursion of not incursion, but the influx of a lot of um, immigrants after the uh, uh, the Iron Curtain came down, um, and uh, increasing numbers of folks coming up from Turkey and from Morocco into uh, Holland and Belgium, and um, you know each country where there were sort of colonial uh, exercise has had a, a flow in of, of, of folks from. Um, uh, the colonial, you know, the previously colonial countries, um, holdings, not countries, now countries. You know. Well, you know and what? what I'm there's a real antagonism. There's a there's a um, uh, a xenophobia uh, that is anti-Semitic, anti-Arab, uh, anti-African, um, and it's you know it's it, it's growing. It's growing in Europe, and we have our counterpart here with skinheads. The um, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center uh, did an article, you know, and we had to write to them and say, look, you know, you're over-identifying paganism with, you know, a small group of folks who are skinheads and fascists, you know, who are, identify with the Nazi party and uh, in America and who are anti-Semitic and anti-black, et cetera. And they may call themselves pagans, but they're, you know, not all pagans are fascists. Or what they you know? are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, right. that's that's where I was going. You know, it's almost as if you have to yeah. define paganism because it means yeah. so many different things, you know, to so many people. I mean, for some, it's just it. You know, it used to be, you know, to in a lot of cases, just someone who wasn't Christian. Yeah. Um, but but you know maybe that that definition doesn't you know doesn't always work. No, it's a very big tent. Yeah, it's a really big tent. And the only way that, I mean, you know, I agree with you when you said that you think that it's not possible, you know, to be uh, pagan, whatever your tradition, and to be Republican or to be, you know, a fascist or whatever. And I happen to agree with you because I think that there are, I do think there are intrinsic values, the innate 
the imminence of divinity, right? That the world itself is an embodiment of the sacred, that it's a part of all of us. Therefore, you cannot be xenophobic, right? Because everything, everyone is sacred. Um, well, and, and even, I mean, I was told recently by a friend of mine, and it, this, I mean, I, I, I get, I'm showing my own ignorance here, but she said that there are groups coming up that consider themselves pagan, consider themselves Wiccan, and they don't even have a goddess in their cosmology. And, you know, and that kind of blows my mind, too, you know. I mean, yeah. I don't know any more to, to explain it. You know, we didn't get into it, but... Um, you know, I, I just wonder how that can even be, you know. I don't know. I can't answer that. I mean, it wouldn't be yeah. part of... I mean, you know, so many people call themselves Wiccan now, and that's a consequence of the expansion of the movement through books yeah. and through personal practice. There's an old expression I use a lot, which is our blessing is our curse, right? We have no hierarchy. We have no central authority. Anybody can read a book and say that they are a priestess, you know, or run right. a circle and, and say that they're a priest and, you know, caveat There's, emptor, let the buyer beware. Well, you see, and that's know. something I've yeah. thought, too, you know, uh, as, as I see people come up and you'll talk to them and you realize there's not a, not, there's not a lot there. And um, and, and, and it, and it cry, I feel like, it, we, in a way, we sort of, you know, it, it cries out for at least some sort of, um, what would you call it, like a standard a, a, a standard of education so that, you know, we can sort of at least have everybody sort of on the same page. Um, yeah. There's a term for that. It escapes me at the moment. But, you know, but because everybody's all over the place, like you said, our blessing is our curse, you know, you can't count on the fact that, you know, like in like in standardized education, that, well, if you've been to first and second grade, you know such and such. You know, it's not like that. That's right. It's not. And so it's all over the place. And um, I mean, I'll give you an example. You know, 30 years ago, very few people were public. You know, um, Margot Adler was public. I was public. Very few people were public. Uh, people were afraid. You know, they were afraid that they would uh, lose their jobs, you know, that they would get kicked out of school, that they would lose their children, you know, make a list. And it and it was all very realistic that they, you know, if they lived in this house, that their house could be firebombed. This is all, you know, and it, and there are places where this is still true. I mean, I spent a lot of time at the beginning, you know, as a lawyer dealing with case discrimination cases. So it was a very real concern, and it continues to be. Um, but the fact is that um, we... You know, we don't have a single source. We don't have, um, I mean, I think we do. I think we do. And and this is where, I, you know, I'd be willing to get up and debate people. But I, I think that if you're really engaged in the kinds of practices, um, the real ancestral practices, and, of course, there are these, you know, patriarchal overlays and, as cultures got more urbanized, eh, you know, things shifted and moved, you know, before you had monotheistic pa- patriarchy, you had pagan patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Rome sure. was was a warrior state, you know, sure. par excellence, and it was, you know, and the treatment of women Yeah, and women falling. didn't have a lot of rights. And in Greece, you know. Yeah. So, you know, we did it to ourselves before we did it to anybody else. But I think that there is a certain commonality or should be. And if you're using not 
ceremonial ritual, but in fact shamanic technique, the purpose of which is to put you into communication, communion with the sacred, which is embodied by the earth. The earth itself becomes our spiritual teacher. And when that happens, the wisdom is revealed. It's not, there are mysteries, and you know, there necessarily will always be because of the limitations of our own consciousness, right? That we're, you know, what we are, human. But, um, but we have a capacity, we had a capacity, we had skills that cultivated those capacities to be in the presence of the sacred. And it was the earth itself that was our spiritual teacher. And if we could attend to that again through the use of these basic techniques, this has been my fascination, that regardless of what particular ethnic tradition you're, you're after, if you will pay attention the wisdom will reveal itself. And one right. of the great wisdoms is that you can't have male without female. You cannot have one without the other. You have to have balance and reciprocity. Right. Um, without that, there's no evolution, there's no growth, there's no life, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah and absolutely. I think that that's what we have to attend to is our practice and the theology that comes from practice, from the divinity and the wisdom that that's revealed to us. You know, honestly, I think... My own perspective is that the practices are the means by which we take off the blindfold to see what's all around us, and you got to pay. So, do you think there's much of a chance, um, you know, considering how disorganized we are? I mean, I'm famous (laughs) for saying we are like herding cats. Um, You know, so many of us resist structure, resist organization. You know, we're just sort of these independent uh, rebels. Um, Do you see a day where? And I'm going to use the word paganism loosely. Paganism, you know, goddess advocates, whatever you want to call them, that yeah. we can be leaders of the movement. You know, that we can show people. You know, if we, uh, if, if patriarchal can crumble, we do have something to take its place. Yeah, I think uh, we don't have a choice, right? Um, if one of the problems in the pagan movement is long ago. Um, Brandy Williams, who was the chair of, of, um, of the Covenant of the Goddess, uh, said to me, "We eat our own." <laughs> it was by we way of warning. We eat our own. True. True. Yeah. It was by Talk way of warning. Talk to me about politics know. in the community. Right. I got a lot oh. I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. Appalling. I mean, really. I mean, I left pagan politics for a long time because I was just I was appalled, and I continue to be by by the way in which we engage in discourse when we don't agree with one another. Um, and I think that the Internet has made that worse because, you know, I think it's just damaged um, general civility, you know, at a general level, yeah, cross-culturally. I don't think mm-hmm. we're an exception to that, that problem. Um, and... One of the other things is that, you know, in indigenous cultures, you always had elders, and elders were respected. Um, they had a role, and they were listened to. They had they were the holders of wisdom and tradition, and they were respected. And we don't have that in the goddess community. We don't have that in the pagan communities. We don't have that in the Wiccan communities the way we ought to. Um, right. And you see it in discourse. You, what you see is the patriarchal model where people come forward, where the, you know, the young bull wants to kill the old bull, right? Right. You know, the, 
fratricide, you know, where yeah. it's time to kill your father or your mother, you know. And or or the will, scarcity will, mentality, you know, the yes, scarcity yes. mentality that, you know, there's not enough for everybody and it's all about competition rather than partnership. That's right. And one of the things I've seen over the years is that the longer somebody's been around, generally speaking, it's not true for everybody. I've been very surprised by some of the people that I thought I expected, you know, to be sort of reciprocally supportive and are not. But by and large, it's really been a pleasure over the years to see how many um, of the what are, people I would consider elders, people who've been around 30, 40, 50 years, that you don't have that competition, that you have mutual assistance. You know, I, I was the first person to bring, you know, contemporary paganism in Wicca to Italy, and I opened the door. You know, the people who helped me, the my organizers and translators and publishers and all those people, you know, I opened the door for other teachers who wanted to come and work in Italy. There's more, you know, it's a small community, and yet at the same time there's more than enough, you know, because people will be drawn to different traditions, different ways, and they need to find what works for them. You know, you mm-hmm. don't want people working with you if they're called to someone else's way of work, you know. Um, but we, if we work cooperatively, then we have the opportunity to really um, make an impact. And what I found is that at the level of elders, of people who've been working uh, for a long time, but they don't compete, you know, that um, they cooperate, they help each other. And that's sort well, of you know, to me well, how well, you could recognize an elder, you know, is whether they have that cooperative spirit or a competitive spirit. Well, that that could very well be a good point. And, you know, two of the things that that I've sort of come, the conclusions I've come to myself um, have been, uh, one, it seems like when money enters the equation, if someone is reliant on this for their living, then they tend to be more competitive than, you know, cooperative in lending mutual assistance. Or they tend to... Uh, disparage others, you know, and, and, you know, try to set themselves up as the real deal, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and disparage, you know, disparage others who might be their competition. Or Cynthia Eller wrote about in one of her books, The Power Deprived, and she said uh, that uh, oftentimes people who are disenfranchised in the mainstream world go into alternative religions and you know because they can find followers who will follow them you know and 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 they'll find that you know that uh it, their their ego will be be filled that way and yeah. you know i i've i've seen i you know i've seen seen it go both ways you know blessing and curse um, blessing and curse so yeah it, it feels it feels like you know uh, we, you know, I don't want to say paganism is in its infancy, but it feels like, you know, we're maybe just entering high school. You know, we're not fully cooked yet, as <laughs> Judge Judy would say. You know, we, no. we're not a very mature religion or spirituality yet. Uh, well, or maybe it's true. just that, you know, like in like in other religions, you know, you you still find this kind of thing. You know, you find you know, ministers or leaders, whatever label you want to use, you know, some of them are better than others. Some of them some of them are out there trying to sell their books while others are trying to feed people in soup kitchens, you know. Right. It's true. And, you know, it's, again, it's just, I think there are a couple of things. One is that um, 
you have to one of the things that breaks my heart is that I you know but we used to call it witch wars you know 35 40 years ago 30 years ago 25 years ago you know now it's pagan wars right so there's egotism right there's always mm-hmm. ego there's anxiety there's what you aptly described as you know this idea that there's not enough to go around and which is completely contrary to the actual wisdom that the earth is trying to show us and teach us mm-hmm. um, and there's more than enough to go around uh, there may not be if we continue to overpopulate but you know in, and destroy everything but you know with the right balance the right so there's plenty and the you can if you're doing the work i think there i mean you can see it first of all the sincere work they work hard and they're not always calling attention to the work that they're doing they work mm-hmm. um they have a sense of humor it's one of the things that i've come to recognize you know that somebody who's really doing the work mm-hmm. um and humble and have a little bit of humble humble yep they're simultaneously sort of confident, but not in that false, cocky way. Right. You know, but right. in that, okay, I've earned my own respect. You know, I've been yeah. working really hard, and I, okay, I got this. I got this part down, right? You know, I got this. Okay. Um, they understand that that there's always, I mean, that's one of the lovely things about the work that we do is that there is always, there's always another piece of, mystery ahead so every time you think i love the labyrinth as the metaphor like every time you think you've got it right the path takes a turn and yeah suddenly yeah you're lucky if you know the questions right. i always say you're you're lucky if you know the questions much less you know have all the answers <laughs> right and i mean what i've over the years it's like i can tell you what i think but ultimately the best thing is if I just share with you the practices that I've learned and then you use them to f- to go find out, you know, for yourself. And what I've seen over the years is that when people really practice, when they create circle, when they honor the four directions, when they keep the Sabbaths, because there is profound wisdom that's revealed in these seasonal shifts. And they do it not in an abstract way, but in a way that is reflected in the reality of the place that they're living in. Um, And so if you need to adapt, then you adapt. Um, If you're really working, um, if you're practicing shamanically, if you're journeying, if you're learning how to listen to the spirits of place um, and let them guide you. One of the things that, that, that I've been teaching for a long time, and I don't understand in a way why other people don't do it, but... To me, divination is not just like, oh, well, let's find out if your boyfriend really loves you or whether you should take that job in California. No. It, for me, it's a way of being in conversation with the divine and being guided by it. And rather than creating ritual out of your, your preconceived notions of what you should do, you ask. You ask the, the deity. You ask the spirit of the place, you ask the land, what do you need? You know, what do you need from me, from us? Um, and then you create your ritual around that, and then you follow through in what we call acting in accord, 
based upon what you've been shown. And I'm telling what we have been shown, what we've encountered, what we've been asked to do, what we've yeah, it, it is so far beyond anything that even the best trained, most skillful ritualist could come up with. There's an openness that's required of us, and especially at this critical moment that, you know, read books, study with teachers, study other traditions, you know, practice. But I always practice, practice, use the practices because they will put you in touch with the really the great teacher, and that's to me that's the, the that's Mother, that's Mother Earth. Right. She is calling to all of us now because she is afflicted. She's sick. She's going to reset her balance, but not until you know this tremendous destruction is taking place. And I, I'm very deeply concerned about what lies ahead. And I do think what you were saying about the movement being immature, it's very true, but it's going to have to grow up fast, you know? Yeah, Um, yeah. And those who are immature won't have anything to offer, and those who are mature, I think, will help carry precisely We'll have to help lead the way. Yes, I think we're carrying precisely the wisdom that will be needed over the next hundred years of crisis that we're going to be facing. Yeah, I I think you're right. Well, uh, let me ask you... And the feminine, it comes, right? It comes back to reestablishing the balance between men and women, between masculine and feminine, in order to reestablish the balance of our relationship with the earth. The feminine is the critical missing element in this entire process. You know, maybe what I'm about to say isn't an issue in our circles because, you know, most of the people we deal with, um, you know, or in this as a, I think mostly in this as a spirituality. But, um, you know, I hear about the millennials coming up. You know, they, you know, they don't want to have anything to do with religion uh, because, you know, I guess they've, you know, they've seen the problems that our patriarchal religions cause. But it seems like it tends to make them reject um, all religion. And I wonder about that. You know, if I go out and teach about goddess, you know, sometimes I'll teach about it, you know, depends on the audience, as deity, archetype, or ideal. Because I guess I feel like in the end, if we can all be on the same page with the ideals, then I don't care what they call it, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, to a certain mm-hmm. extent. But I, I, but I guess my question is, or my, you know, my, my comment for, for, for your response is, yeah. does it concern you this, uh, if it's you know if it's true this you know the new generation who doesn't you know who wants to be more secular. Well, first of all, you know, uh, I mean, spirituality. You, you, you're, I love talking with you, and you, you, all of these questions are just you know really rich, and we're only we only have time to sort of scratch the surface and we you know we could spend a whole night just talking about one of these important points that you're raising um i think part of it is just age right you know uh, when you're 18 uh, you're less interested in religion right <laughs> you're true, interested true. in partying right um, true i mean the good thing about paganism is that it's 
it's a party related. You know, it's yeah. If you're yeah. not laughing, smiling, dancing at some point in the course of the evening, you're not doing it right, right? So, I mean, it is a very young religion, both in terms of its chronology and its constituency. It's a very young religion, and that has the good and the bad. Um, I think that as people mature, right, that part of the process of maturing is this, um, you know, a, a spiritual perspective that begins to mature with you and the curiosity that comes. Um, it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I wasn't raised in a religious household. I, it was amazing to me that this even happened, but it was a very profound calling. Okay. But I, I think that the religions of our forefathers make absolutely no sense. You know, they're irrational. They are the theologies of of a, of a patriarchal, desert-based, you know, there isn't enough to go around uh, world. And mm-hmm. um, that's not the world that we're living in, although we are run, we're going to run into there isn't enough to go around soon. Um, it's not rational, and it defied rationality. And one of the lovely things about, I think, about paganism, at least contemporary paganism, is that there is no, there is no, battle, at least not the way I practice and the people that I work with, there's no battle between what we do and science, you know? Um, I w- you know, if you can explain things to me using science, you know, like what's happening when I'm journeying, you know, or why, you know, there's been a visitation, you know, manifestation, which, you know, we've captured in a photograph, you know, wh- why these things that have no explanation based upon the explanations that we have thus far of reality, why these things happen, how they happen, you know, how we can see into the future or, you know, understand things about the past, um, how the soul seems to be able, using shamanic techniques, to travel outside the limitations of time and space and, and, you know, the constraints of the body in the three-dimensional world that we live most of our life. And if we, you could give me a scientific explanation of that, I'll, I'd love to have it. Um, but you, know, but not, you don't need it. You don't need it to justify it, you know. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think it's, it's like when we, have a, when we have a spiritual experience and we think we have um, communicated with deity, um, it's almost, you know, it, it's something you can barely language. Um, and I think once you have it, then you lose the need for the scientific explanation. You know, because it, it feels so profound that yeah. you're convinced, you know, you don't need the science to back it up. But like you said, if they could, if they could back it up, fine. You know, as long as they're not going to tell you you've just deluded yourself. <laughs> Well, that might be the first reaction that you'll get from science because science simply, you know, hasn't quite yeah. caught up to what we're doing yet, you know. Today's true. magic is tomorrow's science. Um, true, true. I don't, I don't find a contradiction between the two of them, but I think we're just, we're the pioneers. We're on the frontier and like our ancestors were. And um, we know, we know, we've known, we've been warned, we've known, you know, for a long time that the earth, uh, was headed towards this crisis, and unfortunately, you know, it has taken science, um, you know, what may end up being too late to catch up, and politics, you know, is behind right. science. So right. we have, but 
that doesn't mean, you know, it means that we have to keep doing what we're doing and we have to use, I think we teach the practices and then people use them and the sacred, and its wisdom reveals itself and from that then perhaps we begin to have some influence. Um, I think that, the, it's to me it's, it's really hard to accomplish, but it's really simple. The, yeah. However you, whatever label you use, God, the divine goddess, sacred, whatever, but whatever that is, it's, it is the greatest good, right? It's the measure of all things, by which yeah. all things are measured, right? Yeah. And, um, and if it is not the, you know, the, the continuity of life itself, then it's nothing. I mean, we we are in service to that. That evolution, the entire planet, has been oriented around the creation and the sustaining. Even death, the purpose of death, is in fact the sustaining of life. Right. That's sustaining life because everything that dies is recycled back into life. Right, and, exactly. Yeah. So to me, the divine is, Right there in front of us, and our well, job you know, you is might, to awaken you, you, you probably recommend, uh, it, you fi- probably will recognize the foremother's name I'm about to say, uh, Anne Baring. Uh, mm-hmm. I interviewed her recently. She has her last, probably her last book out. She is in her 70s now. And uh, it was The Dream of the Cosmos, uh, A Quest for the Soul. And um, uh, it was such a privilege to talk to her. And um, she she said something that was very comforting because you know sometimes it's hard to live these days, yeah. uh, you know, and, and not and not have doubt, you know. And she said that uh, she she really truly believed that uh, the goddess consciousness, Sophia, the uh, the feminine consciousness, is trying very hard to help us along. Yes, and um, that that gave me comfort. You know? Yeah, I I think it's absolutely true that there's a reason why. I mean, new religions don't come along very often. You know, sects, yes, but this is not a sect because we don't have you know a cult leader. Right? We the exact opposite, right? This is a profound spiritual movement, and it happens when the old religions um, no longer make sense of the world, mm-hmm. uh, and a new uh, expression of the truth. Uh, is needed and is found, and yeah. we are participating in the in the birth. You know, as the Earth is on the verge of dying, and our species, you know, and all these others are on the verge of dying, a new religion is being born. And I believe, you know, it'll be it's flawed and it's immature and all that stuff, but it carries within it the blessing. It it's the mother that's calling this forth. And right. Right. Well, you know, I, I've I've taken to calling us the cognitive minority. You know. Yes, I, I you said that at the beginning, and I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and because I tell people, I say, you know, don't be don't be ashamed, don't be afraid, you know, because we are the cognitive minority. You know, uh, remember when the scientists were trying to tell the Vatican that the world wasn't flat and that the right, planets exactly. revolved around the sun? They were the cognitive minority. Well, we are them today. So just, you know, stand your ground and hang in there. Um, well, Phyllis, we are really starting to run out of time. We're at 7.30. What a pity. I, I know. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, 
but we have a, we have a few minutes left, and um, there were still a few things I thought you wanted to chat about. So I'll just remind you what some of them were, and you tell me what direction you want to go. Ha, you know, we haven't really be. talked about Wiccan privilege yet, or pagan <laughs> activism, uh, or if the label pagan helps or hindered, hinders us. Um, or, or any of those where you'd like to take our, our remaining minutes? Well, we did talk briefly about, you know, choosing language uh, so that you are reaching people as opposed to putting them off. True, uh, true. And the the question about Wiccan privilege, I think, in a certain sense, we also talked about it. It was a, a minor, I think, a relatively minor flare-up that took place um, on uh, one of the big pagan um, websites. Uh, I think it was the Wild Hunt. Um where somebody was complaining, you know, about Wiccan privilege, and I started laughing. It's like, yo, dude, you know, there was no Wiccan privilege, you know. What were, I, I don't even understand what they meant by Wiccan privilege. Exactly. Well, it was the idea that, you know, if they go to a conference, it's all about Wicca. If they go to the bookstore, it's all about Wicca. I'm like, well, that's because we were here first, and now it's your turn, and just work really hard and do all the things that we did for 30, 40 years, and you're, you know, you're standing on the shoulders of giants, as it were. Not that we're but giants, as but to, but as opposed to what? Wiccan privilege, as opposed to you mean some of the other uh, traditions within paganism. Yes. Yes, okay. Exactly. Okay. The I other gotcha. traditions in paganism are not as visible or elevated. And my response is, you you can't make a plant grow faster by tugging on it. It's a natural and organic process. And what you're looking at, you know, is what has taken thirty, forty, fifty years of, you know, uh, a lot of hard well, work on the part of a lot of people. And now it's your turn. You know. Well, but you know, unless you're unless you're a purist, I mean, look, I came to this as an ISIS priestess, mm-hmm. uh, an Iscian, okay? But uh-huh. we really just sort of, you know, adopted Wiccan, Wiccan overlays, yeah. you know? Uh, um, so, and we sort of just reconstructed, you know, based on using Wiccan principles. Um, I, I guess I thought everybody did that. <laughs> well, a lot of people have. I mean, if you wander around the country and, you know, you look at it. What you're what you're looking at is that because that's what was available. And that was, but also because at the heart of it, at the heart of the practices, you know, there are these sort of core elements. If you strip off all of the particularities of this deity or you know whatever, there are these core elements in the techniques of the of the circle, the honoring of the directions, the invocation of the sacred, the movement of energy, all these things, that you find they're universal in a certain sense. You find, yeah. you find them shared by indigenous traditions all over the world. And that, to me, is what makes it resonate. And, you know, I don't yeah. care, you know, exactly whether you, you know, salute or... Bow exactly, exactly, important. exactly. Yeah, I, you know, it's so funny, um, you know, because you do have your ritual purists or as ritual fascists, as we call them sometimes. And, you know, like you'll go to the corner and, and you'll, you know, some people want to make the sign of the pentagram, you know, with the mm-hmm. circle around it. And But as Iceans, we would make the sign of the ankh instead mm-hmm. of the pentagram, you know. Right. And it would just it would just make some people crazy because, 
you know, we were ruining the ritual because, you know, we weren't making the pentagram instead of the 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 ankh. And it's like, oh, come on, give me a break, really? (laughs) You know, I guess I'm just too much of an eclectic, but stuff like that just didn't make me crazy. No, exactly. And this is what I was saying before in a sense about, you know, the longer you do this, the more you... One of the things I've seen is that the more you do this, the more people who come from diverse traditions, in fact, find that they have things in common and that there's a similarity in how they're practicing. Right. And that a lot of the so-called, what I would call, in a way, superficialities um, yeah. fall away. And what remains are these sort of um, essential core elements, the purpose of which is not the formality of ritual, but the shifting of perception. Do they remove the blindfold? And mm-hmm. do they enable you to see the sacred that's a, that's present? Yeah, that's yeah, it doesn't. Present. So it doesn't matter whether you're doing whether you're drawing a, a, a flower, you know. No. It's it's does it does it let you lower the veil? Exactly. Um, so so Phyllis, let's maybe we should um, you know talk about uh, activism because that feels like to me that's um, you know the you know that's really what's in a way most important. Um, it, do are there many pagans out there? Uh, on the front lines. I mean, I don't see them, but maybe you do on the East Coast. Um, well, there certainly are a lot more now than there used to be. I mean, when, earlier, you know, we were talking, and I said, you know, thirty odd years ago, there were very few people who were public. I mean, really few people who were public. I mean, Starhawk was public, but really not in the broader mainstream culture, right? Um, mm-hmm. she was very public within the context of the community, but you know, the New York Times didn't know who she was. Um, a few people were. Uh, now, you know, uh, local folks are willing to be interviewed by their local newspapers. Well, you know, in in the Midwest, that's a sea change. That's a sea okay. change. Okay. Um, and it's a reflection of the activism of the people who came before, who were willing to be public and who did national TV and their national press and local press when they were coming through town. And it's a reflection of the Internet and the confidence, I think, that, that people have because they know they're not alone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Internet, I think, has made a huge impact on people's confidence because they're not alone. Um, right. The movement has grown, and so they're not alone in that in that sense, you know, they don't have to rely just on, you know, the internet and somebody who's a thousand miles away. The internet and and I mean, look at the success Selena Fox and the, you know, those folks out there had with getting pentagrams on um, fallen soldiers' graves. I mean, that, that seems like that battle. was a pretty big thing. It was a big thing, and it, you know, in the end, it, it I mean, it was a. That's a big story. Um, and Selena played a critical role, but that it also reflected years of work and establishment of relationship so that in the end, um, uh, Americans United for the Separation of Church and State were willing to take on the case um, and treat it with seriousness. And it was their uh, taking on the case as a legal matter that enabled us to, you know, to win that victory, right? So it was the, our capacity to build an alliance with um, a very important organization, um, which has, you know, handled other Wiccan cases now as well. Um, and the ACLU, I've always cultivated, I mean, I've been in the ACLU, but I've always cultivated a relationship with them, and so is Selena. So um, 
and now we have a lot more lawyers. I mean, when I started, I was the only attorney. Now we've got lots of of pagan Wiccan lawyers, and they're scattered all over the country. We have well, you know, I a know lot of uh, pa- in, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Patrick McCollum talks about in California, I think it might be limited to California, that's I guess where, I, where I'm going with this question, mm-hmm. that there's a tier one and tier two religions, and you know, paganism is in the tier two and not really protected. Is that really across the board, across the United States, or is that just a California thing? Well, Patrick and I are very old and dear friends, and I love and respect him, but uh, I, as an attorney, I had a lot of problems uh, with the case that he brought, and I, I mean, I, I was not surprised by the ruling that, that came down, and he just, and I think he's, I don't want to say exaggerating, but I think that his interpretation of the ruling is not completely accurate, because uh, he, I mean, they, they ruled basically that he didn't have standing to sue, and that what was necessary was you had to have inmates, so it wasn't quite the devastating, you know, blow where now we have tier one and tier two. We do have tier one and tier two, but as soon as you have um, uh, folks who who are pagan prisoners who are willing to come forward as petitioners, we could have a very different result. Now, the court system is really problematical right now. Um, some districts are better than others. The um, Ninth Circuit is still good. The Second Circuit is still good. And, and you know, it's been really surprising to watch the shift within the courts all over the country, right, even in Utah, where, um, you know, the uh, gay marriage bans are being struck down. We couldn't right. imagine that even three, four, five years ago. So I happen to think that, I mean, I would not have, and I did. I mean, I, he won't remember, but I didn't think that the case was a strong case. And I was kind of surprised that he was getting uh, assistance from law firms because, I mean, he just did not have standing to sue. So mm-hmm. the case was – and that was the basis on which the case was thrown out. So you, what we need is somebody who's got proper basis to sue, and that would be – a pagan prisoner. Once you've got well, that... Well, take it out... T- wait, but wait, uh, Mike, really, I didn't mean to sort of put it in the context the legal of the prison context, system. Right, right, I, right. I think I'm, I'm more talking across the board for people, people who aren't Christians or not one of the big three religions. I mean, mm-hmm. do they really... I mean, do, do they have equal protection under the law, or does it really depend on sort of where you live and what the... Uh, you know, can can you count on a judge to support your your uh, freedom of religion case if you live in I don't know Oklahoma? A few years ago, or, no, six months ago, I would have said yes. You need to have first of all, you have to have a good case, right? Um, and you know, bad facts make bad laws, and you know. I've seen plenty of cases come across my desk or come across the computer screen where people are asking for help, but in fact, the facts don't make for a good case, right? It's more complicated than, you know, the way in which it's being presented. Um, so you need a good, you need a good, clean, clear case um, with, the right, uh, with the right party suing, you know, in the right situation. Okay. However, um, 
now I would say I'm deeply concerned because of uh, Greece versus, now I can't remember, I'm having a senior moment, the case that just came down from the Supreme Court, which um, Americans United was involved in, and which involved, in fact, some Wiccan practitioners who had complained in upstate New York there was uh, a town was opening um, uh, town council meetings with prayer, and 99.9% of the prayer was Christian. And mm-hmm. uh, some Wiccan priestesses complained, and in fact, they adapted, uh, you know, a broader approach. And uh, in the interim, uh, other faith traditions had an opportunity to, uh, in fact, to uh, open prayer. Well, the lawsuit went ahead, uh, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And in fact, um, the court, I guess, not surprisingly ruled that because, you know, it was a lot of specious, frankly, specious reasoning, but they basically said, oh, well, just the fact that, you know, it's 99.9% of, you know, the prayer is Christian, you know, people can, it's not like school prayer because people can just step outside before the meeting begins. Um, And besides, you know, when you look, you don't have a Wiccan temple and we don't have, there's no Buddhist temple and there's no Taoist temple. So it's perfectly reasonable for uh, the uh, town fathers to focus primarily on, uh, you know, Christian churches. It was a terrible ruling from the Supreme Court. So now, in a sense, you could say that it isn't just us. It's other uh, minority faith traditions. As well. Is, is yeah. there any recourse to uh, get rid of the Supreme Court? I mean, I've heard there isn't. I mean, we're really stuck with them. There, they, there's really, uh, you know, unless we could really prove egregious, uh, you know, fault. I mean, as if the stuff Scalia and Thomas, you know, with their, you know, Tea Party leanings and involvement shouldn't be enough, you know, the conflict of interest. But, I mean, is there really no way to get rid of these people? I mean, do we really Uh, just have to wait for them to die? Well, there's a reason why, I mean, they were very strategic uh, in selecting uh, justices who were very young. Uh, All of these uh, justices that were proposed um, under the Republicans, and one reason they fought so hard um, you know, to control the government was to part of this strategy that we were talking about earlier with the Koch brothers. This long-term strategy was to take over the court systems, because then it it assured you know, that whatever um, yeah it was the the last resort, right? Right. Um, and it's tremendous power, tremendous power, and it's being abused. We have right. So now we have striking down of all the election laws and and final yeah. constitution laws and the handing over of our government to a couple of billionaires. And right. yeah, this is a very serious situation. AU Americans United is addressing it. Uh, they're trying to do public education programs. They're trying to you know educate you know local folks. This is where uh, you know pagan activism. It was a big battle. I was part of it to get into the Parliament of the World's Religions in '93, but thanks to you know some inside help of a, a sympathetic person, you know we managed to get in the door and we stayed there. Um, and now we're on the board. And this is where interfaith work is extremely important because it it you know it the, the fixing the misperceptions about pagans, Wiccans, etc. Then enables us to build alliances with um, other faith traditions, so that when you're in a situation like this, um, if you're in some small town, 
You got yeah. solidarity from other right. uh, other faith practitioners who can come No, I remember they, uh, Angie Buchanan was talking about there was some issue where, um, I don't know, there was a bankruptcy or there wasn't money or I, I, I forget the details now, but um, or, or we, will we still be in the parliament? Uh, or, oh, yeah. Or did, yeah. Okay. No, the, the, the pagan community um, was extraordinary. And to me, this is an example that gives me hope and that, you know, I look to because the, the, the pagan community, we... Um, contacted the we everybody who was on the board contacted their faith communities, but you know pagans being an internet based group, we were able to really activate and mobilize folks much more quickly than other faith traditions, and we raised um, over thirty thousand dollars, which was twenty at least twenty percent of the funds that needed to be raised to pay off this debt that the parliament had from a, a lawsuit following um, the Barcelona Parlement. The details are you know, tra- wow. tragic, tragic, but we paid it off, and, the, and it was the pagan community, and I, pagans all over the world. I have now the most wonderful relationships with pagans in Mexico, Colombia, South America, Brazil, um, all over Europe, they rallied and they sent. We, you know, we said you don't have to send large contributions. You could send a dollar. You can send five dollars. And most of the donations that we received were small, but cumulatively, it was over thirty thousand right. dollars. And it was one of the most substantial, um, you know, faith contributions. And that helps to put the pagan community. Broad as it is, it, it puts us on the map as you know an increasingly mature, mature community. We've been treated well, with great, great respect by the parliament, and you know this is our chance to say thank you, you know, for right, giving right. us a uh, public stage. And well, and you know, I'm glad I asked through. you that because I didn't think uh, the money got raised, so I'm glad oh, to yeah, hear they it did. did. It did. Um, the debt well, got paid off, and and the organization is um, doing great, and now looking for. Uh, the location for its next parliament. Well, where I hope pagans will near, be present. Where oh, where pagans will be present. Yeah, I'm Absolutely. hoping it's somewhere uh, not too far away. I'd like to attend one. So my final question for you, and we'll have to make this really quick. Um, are you looking forward to Hillary running for president? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm excited about it. I was disappointed, you know, that things didn't work out last time, and mm-hmm. I'm hopeful. Um, I I really am. I hope she runs, and I hope she wins. Um, And I think that if she runs, uh, part of the maturational process uh, that the pagan community has to go through is political activism and political involvement. Um, All the other faith groups are involved. You can't do it in the church or in the temple, but you can do it, you know, uh, outside it. And it's very, very important for us to to be seen as a as what we are, you know. Right. We are the fastest one of the fastest growing spiritual traditions in that broad umbrella sense in uh, including, you know, all the various traditions and the goddess uh path and we are one of the most uh rapidly growing uh spiritual traditions in the United States. And we yeah, are the, and I think we are the future, so we need to take a more active role. Yeah, and I mean, it's almost as if we should, uh, you know, I would love to see us with uh, with T-shirts 
you know, uh, I'm pagan, you know, I'm pagan, and yes, I'm a feminist, and I'm an environmentalist, and I'm for human rights, and blah 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 blah. You know, those. Yeah, I mean that would that would be that would be awesome. You know, I'm, I'm going to yeah. give that some thought. Thank well, um, Phyllis, it's been great. I have so enjoyed talking to you. I hope we get to do this again. Uh, I'd on love the air to. And... You're terrific. You're really great. <laughs> Somebody you. should interview you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you I know, really I think... enjoy talking with you. Really. Oh, well, thank you. I've I've been doing tons of interviews with my new book that's out, Goddess Calling. So I I get my chance. Um, but uh, any any closing words, um, you know, for for listeners out there? Um, the goddess is calling, and we need to answer, uh, and we need to bring our lives into right relationship with her. Uh, she's there. She is our guide. She'll show us exactly what she needs from us. We just need to listen, pay attention, and. Um, and offer what's asked of us. And uh, we, may, we may not be able to stop what's coming, um, but we can uh, preserve the wisdom that we'll need on the other side of it, that, that our children and our grandchildren will, will need and that the earth is going to need. And that's our Agreed. job. And, Agreed. Yeah, and well it, you know, we're lucky because it's a, it's a path of joy. It's a path of joy. And that's really important Absolutely. when things are tough. Well said. Well, thank you so very much for your time tonight. Thank and, you, dear. Uh, and if anything comes up down the road and uh, you want to come on and share with listeners, please don't hesitate. The door's always open. I'd love to. And if you come east for book signings, let me know so I can publicize it and get people Okay. There. Thank you. I appreciate the support. I'm good looking night. forward to reading your book. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And good night, Phyllis, and best of luck uh, with all you're doing. I'm glad to know you, and it makes me feel better knowing you're out there. It's mutual. (laughs) Okay, good night. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Well, listeners, as you know, I owe Joe Carson a commercial because she helps me keep uh, keep this show on the air. So here we go. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet. It's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Our ancestors understood that the animal and the divine were all connected. They were together, that there wasn't a separation. And that's what we are trying to return to, is that sense that our animal nature is divine. It doesn't get in the way of the divine. It gets us closer to it. What's your idea of being fully alive as a human being? Because that's what's really spiritual. Write it down. Start writing your own Bible if you want. That's the sacred. And by that, I just mean sweaty, fun, happy sex. Well, that was Serena Roney Dougal, Ph.D., speaking in Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Dancing with Gaia explores the connection between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddess as Gaia. It features 15 visionaries who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. The DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book and costs just $20. You can get your own copy at dancingwithgaia.com. And thank you very much to Joe Carson uh, for... uh, having me run these commercials because it helps pay to keep voices of the sacred feminine on the air. And um, I don't know uh, if 
uh, you know, you're I, I know you're pro- probably not crazy about commercials, but I thank your indulgence. Um, and if you'd like to support the show and my efforts, please do send a donation of any amount to my PayPal account, uh, which you can access from my website, which is Karen Tate. And hey, if you haven't had a chance to pick up my uh, new book, Goddess Calling, Inspirational Messages and Meditations of Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology, please do. Uh, it uh, it it, uh, it will be good for me uh, that my publisher sees a lot of book sales. It makes it that much easier for the next book. So thank you so very much, uh, listeners, for tuning in tonight. And remember one of the mottos from the show from Gandhi. He said, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. We are the cognitive minority. We are the folks who have the answers that can save the world. Never doubt that. Be her sacred roar. Good night. Have a wonderful weekend and Memorial Day. And until next week, here's Awaken with Alea Deo. Time to awaken. Into your call inside. Yeah.